keeping well. Um, we started a new preaching series last week. Uh, if you weren't here, if you missed it, we started a new preaching series that was entitled That You May Know. And what we're doing over these seven weeks, we began last week, is looking at the book of 1 John. So the letter of 1 John was written by the Apostle John, who wrote the gospel called by his own name, John. Uh, he spent three years uh, of his life with Jesus, walking with Jesus, uh, seeing him do all the acts of miracles and teaching and seeing him die on the cross. And three days later, this John, the Apostle John, writes this letter to Christians, to the church, because he wants them to have three fundamental kind of rocks on which to build their lives. He wants them to have an assurance, a clarity, and a confidence going forward. Isn't that something we desperately need today in the church and in the world that we are living in 2022? We need a greater confidence as believers. I believe we need a greater assurance as believers, and we need a real clarity as believers. These are our key fundamental components that we need as believers in 2022. And John writes this letter, and in this letter, as we'll see over the coming weeks, there are three tests that he writes about, three criteria that you may know. The first one is truth, it's what you believe, it's believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and what that entails. The second thing is how you behave as a Christian, your lifestyle. And the third thing is how you love one another, that you belong and you belong and you show love one to another. These, these three criteria, these three tests, love one another, truth and lifestyle, how you behave, these three are what you build your life upon. If you build your life upon these three tests, these three criteria, you will have confidence, clarity, and assurance. One other important thing to mention before we get into today's text is that it's to all three of these together. It's not just that we are people of the truth. We love the truth. We love the gospel. We love the Bible. But no, we're not bothered with loving people. No, we're not bothered with showing any compassion to people. Equally, it's not, oh, we love people, we care for people, we go out of our way to, to help people in need, but we don't speak of the truth. We don't speak of Jesus. We don't speak of Scripture. No, no, John is very clear and adamant that it is all together. It is all three of these components that fit together and give us the confidence, the clarity, and the assurance that we need. So today we're going to look at lifestyle. We're going to look at how we behave. We're going to look at how we live as believers. And we're going to read a wonderful bit of scripture, 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 5 to chapter 2 and verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us for our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, before we get into the whole thing of lifestyle, how we behave, I want to talk about verse 5. Verse 5 says, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. You know, in life, most things are evenly matched. You know, you're painting. White paint doesn't come overcome black paint. It makes gray. Equally, black paint doesn't overcome white paint. It makes gray. Most Hollywood films are good versus evil and mostly good wins. But after a battle, after a struggle to get there, wealth hasn't conquered poverty and neither has poverty conquered Wealth, we, we can go on. You see, in life, there are battles. In life, things are mainly evenly matched. In our lives, there's laughter and sorrow. There's war and peace in the world. When, when it comes to, to opposites clashing, you're never quite sure which will prevail. But when it comes to light, it is different. When it comes to light, it is completely different. You see, darkness can never defeat light. You're in a dark room. What do you do? You flick on the switch and the darkness goes. It absolutely disappears. No amount of darkness can overcome the light. Even down in the darkest cave, the smallest light on a helmet will shine in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome that light. I read something astounding, okay, in some science book that I was reading the other day. It was that on a clear night, you could put a candle on a hill and see it for 43 miles. For 43 miles! Because the light, the light in the darkness. You see, God is light. In him there is no darkness. This is a statement, that statement, God is light, is a statement of God's invincibility. Now, we haven't got time to go into this, although if you want to do some extra study this week, it's a great way to spend your time. But if you look at light in Scripture, light in Scripture talks about truth, it talks about righteousness, and it talks about life. Truth, righteousness, and life are all talked about. But the point is, when it's mentioning light in Scripture, the point is there's no contest. When it comes to truth, 
there is no contest. When it comes to righteousness, there is no contest. When it comes to life, there is no contest. Light cannot be overcome. When, when, when light is referred to in scripture again and again and again, the point is the same. God is light and God cannot be overcome, cannot be conquered. Light cannot be conquered. I mean, on the cross 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died for our sins and in our place, light permanently defeated darkness. So when you hear that phrase, God is light, it is a phrase of God's invincibility. And Christian believer, if you are a believer today, then the light of Christ dwells and lives inside of you. And here we go now with how that then affects our lives. We are called to walk in the light. We're called to be true to ourselves. We're called to walk in truth and victory. God is light. So with that wonderful statement made in verse 5, what John then does is challenge how we live as Christians. And there's a little pattern that he goes through three times in these verses. He, he calls out the false teaching. He calls out the lie and then brings the truth. You'll see it three times. We'll look at it in these verses from verses 6 to chapter 2 and verse 2. He says he calls out the lie if we claim. Then he says this is the error. And then he gives the truth. Three times he does that in these verses. So let's look at the first one, verses 6 to 7. How we walk, walk in the light, or how we live matters. How you live your life matters. Now the false claim, verse 6, the false claim is this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. The false claim is you can be a Christian while you regularly, continuously walk in the darkness. In other words, what the false teachers that, that John was challenging, what the false teachers were saying was you can be a follower of Christ, but no different to the rest of the world. Same beliefs, same behavior. It doesn't matter. John Stott said of these verses, he said, religion without morality is an illusion. How we live our lives matters. Our attitude to others matters. How you conduct your marriage, if you are married, matters. How you live if you're a single man matters. How you live if you're a single woman matters. How you behave in the workplace matters. Every area of our lives matters. Because if we claim to be in the light, but fellowship in the darkness, we live a lie. That's what John is saying. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 puts it this way. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Question mark. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Question mark. So, so John set it up. He said, well, this is what the false teachers are saying. And it is a lie. But let me give you the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, 
And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, things are different. Things are very, very different. You see, basically, if you are actively being what your nature is as a believer, things will be different. Because in Christ, the light of Christ dwells inside of you. So if you are living out the light of Christ, if you are living out your nature, if you are living out who you are now in Christ Jesus, things will be different. If you walk in the light, two things verse 7 tells us. We have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with one another. It says the blood of Jesus purifies us. That word purity or to purify is to erase a stain. Think of a a really dirty bit of washing and you can't get the stain out. That's what the word is talking about, is to erase the stain. And here's the other thing. In the Greek, it's present tense. In other words, it's continuous process. What John is talking about here is that as we walk in the light, there is continuous sanctification. That's the biblical word. There is continuous cleansing. There is continuous purity in your life. You still do wrong things. You still mess up from time to time. But as you walk in the light, you are purified. As you walk in the light, you are made clean. You are made pure. That's the provision that that God makes for us in our sinfulness, that we may be purified from all our unrighteousness. You see... Man and God were intended to have the perfect relationship. But sin came and marred that relationship and dirtied and soiled that relationship. But through the blood of Jesus, we are purified. And that relationship, that fellowship with God is made beautiful and whole again. When we walk in the light, anything that comes in the way of that relationship is purified, washed away, and that relationship is restored. But John says it's not just about your relationship with God, it's also your relationship one with another. Because if you walk in the light, it means you walk with sincere and honest and open relationships one with another. You see, darkness hides things. Darkness conceals things. It's in darkness that that motives are are, are wrong and concealed and, and plans are made to harm others. In the light, there is transparency. There is honesty. There is openness. There is trust one for another. God wants us to live not just in right relationship with him, but right relationship with one another. And that comes through walking in the light. So John is saying it does matter how you live. It matters how you live because you want to live in right relationship with God and right relationship one to another. Let's move on to verse 8 and 9. Confession, not condemnation. So the false claim here in verse 8 is, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
So there's this false claim that was going around that John wanted to address to the church and to the Christians that he was writing to, this false claim that you could be without sin. Now, I always find it helpful that the word sin in the Greek is an archery term. It's an archery term for missing the target. So you think of kind of like a big kind of target here with the gold kind of center to hit the target. There you are to try and like Robin Hood-esque hit the target. To sin is to miss the target. And whether you miss the target by that much or that much, you sin. I find that really helpful because that word sin is used a lot in church and it's in the Bible and it's the right word that the Bible talks about. But what does it look like? What does it mean? Well, it means you miss the target. Whether you have a really good day, but you just get angry with your daughter or you snap at your husband or you gossip about someone at work or you kind of like rob a bank and maim a country, whatever it is, you still miss the target. You miss the target. And so there's this claim going around claiming that, that no one has done anything wrong. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you claim to be without sin, you deceive yourselves, John says. You're lying. And then we come to verse 9. This verse is a glorious verse. If nothing else this morning, I would love you to take this verse and meditate on this week. Because this verse, 1 John 1 and verse 9, is a verse of liberation. Liberation. Because, I'll read it to you and then we'll dig into it. Because it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, that verse, wonderful. You see, your proper attitude to sin as Christians not to deny it. Oh, no, 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 I don't do sin. No, 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 no. It's not that holier than thou. No, 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 not me. No, 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 I'm perfect. No, no. What is our proper reaction to sin? Equally, it's not, oh, what a terrible sinner. What a fool. It's not that either. What is our proper reaction? Our proper reaction is to confess our sins to God. It's to acknowledge before God that you are sinful by nature and you have committed sins that are wrong, that you have messed up here, there, there, there. And then, listen, the promise is God will, not he might, not depends on what day of the week it is, but he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I want you to hear this this morning. Confession, confession, speaking out of your sins is joyful. It is liberating. That's what it is there for. That's what John is writing to to these people, these Christians of the church, to tell them, no, 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 I don't want you to deny your sin. I want you to confess your sin to God and know the joy and the liberation that comes from it. You see, when you state your sin before God, God deals with it. He deals with it. He deals with the debt and he deals with the stain. He pays for the debt of your sin at the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. And he removes by the blood of Jesus the stain of your disgusting sin. God is ready and waiting. He's ready and waiting to pay your sin. 
He's ready and waiting to wash you clean. You say, well, why would God be ready and waiting and wanting to do that? Because he is faithful and just. He is faithful to his promises and he is a just God who wants to deal with sin. And the two options for dealing with sin are either you pay the price or Jesus pays the price. And he wants you to know that Jesus has paid the price. So our ongoing walking in the light, our ongoing sanctification is conditional upon our confession. Our confession of falling short. Because it says very clearly, if we, if we confess our sins, if we come to God with our sin, our mess, and our shame, if we come to him, he will cleanse us. He will wash us clean. He will pay the debt. Again, we haven't got time today, but if you go into scripture, problem comes in scripture when people hide their sins. Problem comes in scripture when people fail to confess their sins. Look at David. Look at all kinds of different figures in Scripture. The problem came not necessarily with the sin, although that was wrong, but with what they did next. Come to the Lord. Confess your sins. The key to a lifetime of grace and liberation is confession. You see, confession of your sins is how you walk in the light. It's how you are free from darkness, how you're free from baggage, how you're free from shame, how you're free from condemnation. It's through confessing your sins to God. You see, if you get confessing your sins to God, I tell you, it will deepen and enrich your spirituality. It will open the door to God's blessings. Because the more you confess your sin, the things that you have done wrong on a regular basis before him, the more his love, his grace can come, wash you clean, restore your relationship with him and lead you into personal revival, lead you into personal blessing, lead you into a personal fruitfulness that you would never have known. Confession is the authentic Christian life. Church, we, we never graduate from the need for confession. I need this verse. You need this verse. Like I said, if you remember nothing else, remember 1 John 1 and verse 9, write it down, put it on your phone, and read this through daily this week. Put it into practice. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He's faithful to his promises. He's true to who he is. And he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not about condemnation, church. It's about confession that leads to liberation. Finally, sin is serious. Look at Jesus. Verses 10 and chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The third claim is similar to the ones that have gone before, but the third claim is to claim that, again, we have not sinned. 
But by claiming that we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. If you say that you do not sin and you have not messed up, then you are making God out to be a liar. Man is sinful. Man needs a savior. Man needs help. And one of the things that this culture does, and sometimes we can get into our minds, is we can think lightly of sin. We can think that it's not really important, that it doesn't really matter. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. My little children. It's like John. John is an old man of his time, probably 90s, as he writes this letter. And it's like a fatherly letter. You can tell he has affection for these Christians and this church that he is writing to. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, let's stop there for a minute. What John is doing is he's writing to church, to Christians, because he wants them to be holy. He wants them not to fall short. He wants them to be set apart. But can you see the balance that that John gives? It's so helpful. He says, I'm writing so that you won't sin. In other words, I want you to be holy. I want you to hate sin, and I want you to live holy lives. But if you do sin, I know the reality that sometimes we fall short. I know the reality that sometimes we get it wrong. And you see, we sometimes are either too strict or too lenient. You know, as a church and as Christians, we fall into one of those camps. Too lenient, too strict. Some of us are like, nah, sin doesn't matter. You believe in Jesus, go and do your like, live how you want. It doesn't really matter what the world says goes, just live how you want. Too lenient. Other people say, whoa, if you get anything wrong, you're condemned. Whoa, you have to live like this. Legalism, condemnation, legalism, condemnation. Two extremes. And both extremes are unhelpful. And both extremes is John saying, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. John longs for us to have a hatred of the gravity of sin. He longs to us to realize that that is not our nature to live sinful lives. He, He longs that. But he also realizes that we do, that we are sinful people. So he says, but if we do, There's restoration. God has made provision for your forgiveness and your restoration. And just one more thing before I unpack that a little bit further is what you'll see throughout this letter is John has, I would say no problem, but John understands that we fall into acts which are sinful. In other words, we lie sometimes, we gossip sometimes, we, we do things which are wrong. You can rationalize it and work out why, but, but it's wrong. We, we fall short. There are moments in our lives, there are acts which we commit which are wrong. And John understands that and tells us what Jesus does. But what he is driving at and what he has a problem with is continuous deliberate, sinful habits in the knowledge 
of who Jesus is. In other words, knowing what you know, but continuing to live a particular way, carrying on sinning in a particular way or area of your life, even though you know that that is wrong. That's the differentiation that, that John makes. We all sin in acts of sin. Well, there is God's forgiveness and restoration. But what I have a problem with, John is saying, what I find difficult, what you need to sort out big time, is habitual, continuously, knowingly sinning and calling yourself a believer. That's the differentiation that John makes. And he's saying here that sin is serious. This is not something to be messed around with, but there is Jesus. But there is Jesus Christ. And there are two most beautiful words and and pictures that that John gives. Because he says, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, that Jesus is our advocate. And Jesus has died for the sins of the world. Jesus is our advocate and our atoning sacrifice. Those are the two words he uses in those verses. And when you understand the seriousness of sin, those two phrases, those two words, which I'll just unpack, are beautiful because they show us that Jesus is the answer. Sin is serious, but you have an advocate. John is the only one who talks about being an advocate, that Jesus is our advocate in all the writings of the New Testament. It's like a, what all the commentators call a, a Johnian kind of phrase, that, 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 that Jesus pleads on our behalf. Think of it in the courtroom. You know, you've got the judge, you've committed sin, you've done things which are wrong. You have an advocate who argues on your behalf. That advocate is Jesus Christ. The sin is serious. You have messed up and fallen short, but you have the righteous one, the holy one who is on your side and is championing you before the Father. So you have an advocate, but you also have one who was the atoning sacrifice. Some versions say the one who was the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word. It's a big Bible word to unpack. But what it basically means is that Jesus paid the price. He willingly went to the cross to satisfy the Father's wrath and anger at the seriousness of sin. He wasn't coerced into it. He willingly went to the cross to die for you. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. Later on, 1 John 4 and verse 10, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And in the Old Testament, there is the really helpful picture of the Day of Atonement. It happened at the beginning of October this month, Yom Kippur, when Jews celebrate the Day of Atonement. And they have two goats, two real live goats. One goat is laid upon the sins of Israel and is killed as a blood sacrifice. The other goat, the sins of Israel are laid upon and that goat is taken out of the camp. It is the scapegoat. 
and, and its sins, the sins of the nation, are removed out of the camp. And those two pictures of the goat in the Old Testament are what Jesus does in one go on the cross. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. He's not a sacrifice that needs to be made every year like on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. He was a once and for all sacrifice. And he removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. You see, sin is serious. Sin is no joking matter. We are not to blase, carry on sinning in our lives and just say it doesn't matter. No, no, John is clear it matters. But don't worry because you have an advocate, Jesus, who speaks on your behalf. And you have one who is the atoning sacrifice, who for every sin that you have committed is the once and for all blood sacrifice that washes away your sins and removes them as far as the east is from the west. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? To know the gravity of sin and yet what Jesus has done for you. And I tell you, it's a bizarre thing. But the more you understand the gravity, the more you understand the grace. The more and the deeper you go into the grace and the riches of God. John desires that we don't sin. But if we do, when we do. Know that you have an advocate and an atoning sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ. So let's conclude for this morning. That you may know, that you may know, that you may have confidence, clarity, and assurance that God is light. He cannot be conquered. He is invincible. Just remember that. Even like these mornings when most of us get up, it's still dark, right? It's still dark. You can't stop the darkness. The only thing that can is the sun rising. And when the sun rises, the darkness goes. So this week, as you get up and you see the sun rising and you see light coming, just remember God is invincible. That I may know whatever I face, whatever I'm going through, Light conquers darkness all the time, no exceptions, nothing ever can change that, that you may know. And then how we live our lives, how we live our lives. How you live matters. God is light, walk in the light. Confession, not condemnation. Let me challenge you this week, like I've said, Take 1 John 1 verse 9, write it in your journals, write it on your phone, read it every day before you get up, as you go to bed, put it into practice. Only needs to take 30 seconds, only needs to take a couple of moments, but live it, redo it, do it. As you confess your sins, the grace of God will come flooding in. God does not want you to live in condemnation. Confession is the key to unlock the liberation of being a Christian. And yes, sin is serious, but we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is our advocate and is our atoning 
sacrifice.